After an extended Christmas and New Year break, we're back with our first episode of 2023. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England-based clothing brand strives to bring premium aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. You can check the products out at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now, for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. Always walk in the shoes of the person in front of you, you know, having that empathy and understanding things and trying to see things through their eyes, I think is really important. And I think the, the bit I took from that was as a, as a, as a, as a young coach and a, and a young player, I think you used to say if someone needed to improve their left foot, for example, you just do loads of work on the left foot. But if it was a, if it was a mentality thing, years ago, you get written off. But now I think having a real understanding for the person and real empathy, I'm a totally different person psychologically now and mentally to what I was at 18, 19, 20. So yeah, I have to understand that and, and empathise with that. And I think, you know, being in the shoes of that person is really, really important. And they've all got different lives away from football as well. I think understanding that to help give them what they need. We're excited to welcome Aston Villa under 21 head coach, Tony Cars onto today's podcast. Tony was previously head of coaching at Huddersfield Town and at Blackburn Rovers. He's an ex-professional footballer who stepped into coaching after finishing his playing career and holds the UEFA Pro Licence. He definitely shares some gold us with us today. Hiya Tony. Hi Keith, you okay? Hiya David. Hiya Hiya, Tony. So Tony, uh, welcome and thank you for coming on the Golders podcast. Uh, We ask the same question of every guest. For us, Golders is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help others. What does Golders mean to you? Yeah, I think it, I think it's that bit, that that sort of magical bit that that really makes a difference. Um, whether you're picking up, whether it's something somebody said to you, um, it's something that you've sort of witnessed in terms of being around something. It's something that stands out. It makes an impact on you. Maybe affects your behaviour. Um, in terms of my own experiences, I know I've you know I've done thousands and thousands of football sessions as a player, but I always remember something the under under twelves coach said to me. You know, at twenty eight, twenty nine, it, it's that bit that sticks with you, but it's it's sort of constantly in the back of your mind as well. Even when you're not fully focused on it, it drifts in and out, but it's always it's always sort of there. And sometimes you're conscious that you've picked it up, and other times that you're not. Sometimes until you reflect, you know, hopefully. In terms of coaching, you know, we have players coming back to us and saying, oh, I remember when you did that, or I remember when you said this or that. And those little bits that, you know, really affect them and make an impact. I think that's gold dust. And you know, unfortunate, fortunate enough in this role and in, in my experiences to be around a lot of top people. And you just pick up that bit of a feel, that bit of an aura. And sometimes the things they say come with a lot more weight, you know, because of their experiences and how 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 highly they're valued. And I think ultimately it's what you make of those little moments as well in terms of, you know, what, what do you do with the gold dust? I think that's part of the key bit. Um, how does that go and affect and change and, you know, influence what you do, I think is the key part of it. Well, Tony, you're an ex-player turned coach. Um, so if, if you were asked to give an introduction about your professional playing and coaching career, what would you say? Yeah, uh, 
always loved football in terms of, you know, growing up from three, four year old, always had a ball around. And then my professional career started at Bradford City as a YTS. Um, you know, we had a, a good youth cup run there, which led led me um, the opportunity to move on to Blackburn. It was a first year pro, which was a great experience moving from a club in League One uh, into obviously Blackburn in the Premier League. And it was when they were sort of height of their powers that 94, 95 season, uh, winning the Premier League and, you know, day-to-day getting changed with the dressing room that was there, Alan Shearer, David Batty, Chris Sutton, Colin Andrew, and those those sort of people. When we talk about gold dust, the experiences of being in that environment at that time was, you know, amazing for me in terms of at the time and then beyond it. My career then moved, I had quite a lot of injuries. I moved to Darlington then. Uh, Kenny Daglish knew Dave Hodgson, who was the manager at the time, offered me the opportunity. I'm a northern, north from the northeast myself, that offered me an opportunity to get a bit closer to home. So two good years there. Um, we lost in the playoff final at Plymouth, which was disappointing. But then I moved on, you know, in the career that took me around, sort of League One, League Two at Cardiff. I had two years at Chesterfield after that, a period at Carlisle. Three good years at Oldham, um, which was, from a personal point of view, probably probably the highlight in a way of my first season there. I was player of the year, you know, won four awards, which was great for me personally. I moved around clubs. I settled into centre midfield at Oldham as well. I'd always been, because I was good left foot, and I could get up and down. I always played left wing in my earlier, earlier part of my career, but I'd always, I'd always been a centre midfielder coming through as, as a kid. Always wanted to be involved as much as I could. And then I moved on to to Huddersfield at um, twenty seven. Again, the highlight there would have been winning the playoff final at Millennium Stadium, two thousand and four. And then it sort of ended my career at Huddersfield at thirty year old due to injury. I'd had that was my tenth operation that I'd had through my career as well as broken legs and ankle ligaments and things. So. It come to a bit of an abrupt halt from a playing point of view. You know, I, I went in for a surgery um, six weeks before we were due to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the FA Cup. And when I woke up after surgery, the surgeon said, you're going to be out two months. And I never actually played again after that. So that that was something that you've got to deal with. I've always been a person whose mentality is to sort of um, get on with it, make the most of it and make the best of it. So I started looking into coaching. I, I'd always been keen on coaching. Um, you know, from a really early age, I always wanted to stay in the game. I'd started doing some of my badges and getting involved with the youth team in sessions. And then, but you know, when your career ends, it, it's quite abrupt in a way because you, you're used to that dressing room, that professional environment day in, day out, and all your focus is around football and the, the sacrifices that come with it. And all of a sudden, that ended. Um, so I had to throw myself into different things. Um, coaching was obviously going to be something I wanted to get into. Um, I also did a degree with the, the PFA that they were running at the time in sports journalism, and I started coaching in the academy. Um, in terms of coaching, a big thing, and I'd always thought during my career, I want to throw myself out of my comfort zone. So right from the start, I, I took on four different jobs. Uh, I worked with the young offenders in Oldham. I worked with Oldham Disability Football Team. Uh, I worked in primary schools, you know, four different primary schools, working with kids from five to 11. And I was also doing my uh, my academy coaching as well, and and getting through my A license. And what those early experiences gave me was a real um, a real feeling for having to understand the person in front of me. You know, from the from the different groups that I've mentioned, there was huge diversity, a huge huge range of abilities, and that really challenged me um, not just as a coach, but as a person to try and understand who I was working with. Um, the main thing was I wanted everyone to get loads from the sessions. I want them to love coming, love playing football. I want them to come back. Don't get me wrong, the young, young offenders had to come back. Um, but, you know, I wanted to cope for, you know, deal with um, whatever they needed to get from the session. I want to try and do it. So communication was a, a huge part of that as well, communicating in different ways to all those different groups. And that experience would be every week, 
you know, four to six sessions with all those different groups across the week for two or three years, along with the academy stuff. So then my coaching evolved. Um, I got a, a sort of full-time role at, at Huddersfield then. Um, the technical development role came out at the same time as the youth modules. Um, and I just I just built up my hours. You know, you, a lot of academy coaches have done it when you're on a, you know, you're on a sort of three-quarter time contract and working 60 hours a week. It was one of those sort of experiences. And then it just evolved into to full-time, the chance to work at the higher end of the youth development phase at Huddersfield, then into the PDP. Uh, the 18s and 21s had five years doing that. Then I moved into head of coaching uh, at Huddersfield for for six months, and then I got the opportunity to move to Blackburn. Blackburn being a Cat One Academy um, in the role of head of coaching as well, uh, and it was just a, that was a great opportunity for me at that time. And again, David Wagner said to me um, when he was manager of Huddersfield at that time, he discussed the first team coaching role with me, and he sort of took me for three months um, to give me an insight into how he worked and his methodology and all that type of thing with the idea that I'd run it back through the academy and there'd be that alignment. But he said to me, um, he said, you've got a lot of experience in coaching at Huddersfield. He said, it's great if you can get different experiences of working in different clubs. And that's something that was always in the back of my mind. So when the opportunity came to go and interview for the role at Blackburn, um, I took that opportunity, got through the interview and, and sort of took the job there. Um, it's a great, great opportunity. I'd come from from Huddersfield, working with David Wagner and his clear methodology from obviously Borussia Dortmund was was his model really. And I went into Blackburn with uh, Stuart Jones, who was a caddy manager at the time, just got the role, and Tony Mowbray had been in the role sort of six months, and it was a blank canvas really to help build a um, an identity and a philosophy really in the academy linked to the first team. You know, working closely with Tony Mowbray, so. That was great for me. I could I could really uh, express my thoughts and on programs, on developing young players, on what things should look like, how we should work, the philosophy, and that. And, you know, I was there five years. I did miss the day to day coaching. Being honest, working with a group of players every single day, I had a coaching. You know, you spanned across different age groups, working with the coaches as well. So the the opportunity to come to Aston Villa in the summer um, and be sort of head coach of the under twenty ones. Working with the players, you know, every day, you know, huge, huge football club as well in the Premier League. It was a great opportunity for me, and again, a chance for me to 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 learn and develop in a different environment. So that's where it's brought me today. You've obviously got a lot of a lot of experience, uh, Tony. But I'm going to ask a question in regards to your opinion. What what is coaching for you? Coaching for me is, you know, I, I want to. I want to use all my experience to help help the player. I understand where they want to get to. Um, are, there, are there expectations realistic? Well, it depends on the mindset and the work ethic. You know, are they, are they, are they open-minded? Are they willing to put in and go the extra yard? Because I think a lot of young players, they can a lot of young players can go further than they think they can, but they have to maybe change the way they think around um, their focus and the, their effort at times and their application, the consistency of those things and the belief things a big part of it. So coaching for me is um, understanding what the individual needs and in my environment, making sure myself and, and a team of staff are all working collectively in an aligned way to give that player the best possible chance of improving, developing and enjoying what they do. I think you've got to enjoy. You've got to enjoy being coached. You've got to love coaching. You've got to love the game um, and just giving them every opportunity to become the best they can be. That'd be coaching. Well, you mentioned fun and enjoyment. Uh, I think that players feel that. They feel that and they feel the energy from the person who's actually delivering it. I think many coaches 
are wanting players to be energised, to to be enthused. But in actual fact, where does it start? Well, it's got to start from within the coach and wherever their design and wherever wherever is drawn out from the practice. Now, from being at a coach in others' field, then moving to Blackburn Rovers, which you've explained, you know, uh, leading the under-21s at uh, Aston Villa, uh, who are currently in the Premier League, and have a really good, uh, a fantastic academy, winning the Youth Cup. Uh, some super players coming through their uh, their ranks, going and actually representing the first team. So it's it's got a lovely reputation in football. But in your opinion, over the years of working with players, how are they different now? What what is has coaching for you changed? Has the players changed? Has it evolved? Has coaching evolved? What are your thoughts and opinions? Yeah, I think first of all, I think coaching's evolved a lot. I think over the years, through the education, you know, through the the youth awards that we've mentioned, advanced youth awards, and I think the games changed a lot. But I think coaching in particular, I think there's a real, real focus now on on the individual player, um, and it's not just coach the player like it like it would have been years ago when the coach did everything. Um, now there's there's that many different elements around sports science, GPS analysis, psychology, that coaching's about all those elements, um, and it's ultimately about the person. Um, I think that that's the key thing, you know, understanding the person, getting into the heart, getting into the soul. How do they function? What what's their motive? What's their motivations? That's that's the real sort of demand on the coach now. I think players demand more from the coaches um, because there's that much more on offer. I think in terms of environment, I think you know the environments have changed hugely over the over the last ten or fifteen years. The Triple P's had a hugely positive impact on that, not just facilities but but staff as well. Um, you know, and it's it's a really really competitive market. You know, to get to get roles in all the different elements, um, there's a lot of competition for those. So you've you've got to be good to get the opportunity, but you've also got to want to learn and keep improving and keep evolving and driving forward. If you're not doing that, you're going backwards. I think that's the, that's another a part of it. Um, I think in terms of young players, I think they've, they've obviously changed over time. Um, fundamentally, they're, they're still similar. Do you know what I mean? They, they, want to, they want to enjoy football. They want to love the game. They've got to have that winning mentality, you know, certainly when you're moving into to this sort of 21s football. Um but they are they are they are sort of different in 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 their understanding sometimes of what's needed, but I think also in how we coach them. I think we were we were we've got to be as demanded now as we always have been, but in a, in a different way, in a different way to get the best out of the players. I think that I think that's a, a big part of it, Keith. As mentioned previously, you are the head coach of Aston Villa's under twenty ones, Tony. What does the role that you currently have entail? Yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of head coach in the 21s and I also oversee the professional development phase, so 16s to 21s. In terms of the role, it's it's, it's making sure we deliver the programme that we've got um, with as much skill and as much precision as we possibly can to give the players everything that they, everything that they need. I think, you know, we work, we work daily on planning. There's huge emphasis on planning around detail, around the individual players, around how the team, how the team works together. And I think sort of an example is that is, and again, we, we call it multidisciplinary team, but it's almost working in an interdisciplinary way. Um, so, for example, if an individual, if one of the things is that's a real focus for them is 1v1 defending, we'll sit down and look at it and go, well, okay, then 1v1 defending, how do we break that down? So from a coaching point of view, it might be, 
a technical element or a tactical. So we'll focus on that in the session. But then we look at, okay, 1v1 defend from a physical point of view in the gym and on the grass. What work do they need to help them improve the 1v1 defend? Is it axels, D-cells? Is it upper body strength for contact? Then, then the psychology. So in terms of psychology, decision-making, is it commitment when there's contact? Is it resilience so that if they get beat in a 1v1, they can quickly bounce back? And then you've got analysis where we'll focus in and clip certain moments or best practice from some of the best players in the world doing those sort of things. So I think it's an understanding of we know what the player needs, but how do we all across different departments work and really fine-tune it to make that player better? I mean, what that gives you is the player has an understanding also then when he's in the gym, exactly why he's doing what he's doing. When he's with the analyst, exactly why. And, and again, across all the all the departments, we can all go and watch the player play and everyone has an understanding of the part they're playing in that player's development. So I think really focusing and working across departments as a team to make the player better is a big focus in terms of the development. Another key part of my role is, as well as obviously running the team in the PL2, Papa John's and the, and the Premier League Cup is the link to the first team. I think in this age group, it's fundamentally important to get that, build those relationships, um, to have that constant communication. We have players training up on a daily basis with the first team. So it's it's opening that that communication, but also feedback. So me going over, speaking to the coaching staff who've been working with the players that day, what have they done well? You know, What do they need to improve on? What do they need to work on? And again, at 21s, we've got to align to the first team. So we've had a change of manager um, in the last couple of months here. So it's now this methodology. So it's gaining an understanding of that, exactly what he he wants from his players. So we can work on that with the young players. And if they get the opportunity to go up and train or playing a friend or an 11 v 11, the manager and the staff there are seeing signs and seeing the things that they want to be looking for in individual players. I think that's a key part of our role to give the players the best chance of impressing when they cross over to that side of the building. How does that link then with... So there's a there's a movement potentially players moving up. You'll have them moving down. What about the sixteens, eighteens groups? Is there, there's a, there's obviously movement within them as well. What what's your link with the sixteens, eighteens? Yeah. So and again, it's really strong. Like I say, we're all in we're all in the same office. Both the eight the under eighteens uh, multidisciplinary team and the twenty ones. You know, we have morning meetings where all the staff are involved in that. And it, like you say, a big discussion is around the players moving up, who's training with the 21s, and a little bit the other way at times. We sort of come together and train together sometimes just to, that gives you a different feel for the session. You know, you've got 16-year-olds training with 20-year-olds and there's 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 things that work really well in that and then there's challenges within that as well. But again, it's a different experience for the players. I think at the moment we've got, we've had a 16-year-old, a first-year scholar who's been with the first team. So he literally... He was with the 18s, dipped in with us for a month. And then for the last two months, he's been with the first team. He's been on the bench three times for first team games. So it can happen really quickly. Um, so it's managing managing that progression for him um, and making sure that within the programme, he's still getting obviously what he needs individually as well. But, you know, a great experience. I think constantly communicating, constantly planning and obviously challenging the players is a focus for us um, on a daily basis. So that playing up and playing down from 16 to 21 and then, Transition to the first team is a big part of our daily programme. I know a lot's mentioned nowadays, Tony, around culture and environment. What what are your thoughts around the creation of, you know, what, what, what would be perceived to be a culture? I think it's a word we use, but do we actually live it? So that players have got, it's a facility or an environment where they can learn, develop and then perform. 
what strategies have you deployed, use yourself to help shape these type of environments? Yeah, I think I think like you say, I think the environment, the culture create is that's the foundation for everything. Um, I think we've done we've done different different things. You know, coming to to Aston Villa, obviously they have their standards and, and expectations and code of conduct and that. My, my role coming in was to to engage with the players in that and to to really get buy-in from them. So we we discussed it as a group and the players selected four players who went into be a leadership group. And again, through them and speaking to the players, we come up with our list of behaviours and standards that we were going to agree to and be accountable for. Um, there was definitely challenges with them uh, early in the season. But again, I think managing them consistently is the most important thing. And, um, you know, you don't want players having to miss a session or miss a game. But, you know, you, you, your behaviours and your culture is the most important thing. And sometimes those things happen every now and then because for whatever reason. But again, the consistency in managing those is really, really important. Strategies, we've done things, you know, uh, around team bonding things. I've had um, managers come and talk to groups of players on their values and their what their expectations are of players transitioning from under-18s or under-21s into the first-team environment. And that's a really powerful message coming from the, the manager of the club, whether it was at Huddersfield, Blackburn or, or at Aston Villa. I think when you get the manager in the room and he starts talking about his expectations and how important standards are to him, that's a really powerful message for the players. Um, and again, we've have you in the past we've got first team players in again to discuss not just their journey, but the things that make a difference. You know, and the things that I think a big thing. When I, when I always ask a first team players, what do you expect from a young player coming across? Or almost what are the non negotiables really? Uh, and when they talk about them to young players, they're really powerful. And it's always about express yourself, don't hold back, be brave, demand the ball. And, and really sort of show us what you're about. That's on the pitch. But I'll also ask them about off the pitch and they'll say things like, always be early for the session. Always come and communicate, say hello, shake the coach's hand, have that social interaction. That's really important. And and, and manners, you know, they, they can go uh, undervalued sometimes nowadays, just real, really good manners and strong characteristics because the players in the first team, they want to feel that from the person. Like we keep talking about the person, the player. If you're not a person that they click with or they can almost respect coming over, you ain't going to last two minutes there. So having that, having those skills that, um, and those values and taking them with you in that first team environment is massively, massively important if you've got any chance of staying there. Off the back of that, Tony, in terms of you personally, what are your non-negotiables when working in an environment in terms of building a culture? Yeah, I, th I think respect's the first one. And again, you know, with players, it's respect yourself, respect the staff, respect the environment, but respect your opportunity as well. I think respect's a non-negotiable for me. Hard work is definitely non-negotiable because I think it's a it's a great opportunity they have. We keep trying to reinforce that message. And it can also go pretty quickly in football. If you don't make the most of your opportunity, it ain't going to be around forever. So respect for sure, hard work, never give up. That's That's a huge one for me. You know, personally, I think in any in any walk of life, whatever it is, but with young players on the grass in particular, just never never give up. No matter what's happening, never give up. Always try your best. And then probably when you're looking at that, it's commitment, which sort of links to discipline. You know, how badly do you want to become become a player? You know, we all know the numbers that get through to to Premier League and Championship football is really really low. Um, but our job is to try and produce that all all players who can have a career in the game. But I think. 
like we mentioned earlier, managers and, and, and coaches and players, if you're going to go into a dressing room at any level, they all they demand the same things. They demand hard work. They demand you never give up. You've got to respect people. So for me, they're, they're my non-negotiables. And I think they carry players forward and you know stand them in good stead going into any level. But with that being said, obviously you've got your non-negotiables when working with a group. Yeah. In terms of implementing them, and then obviously at points likely having to reinforce them. How do you do that? Yeah, and I think that's that that's always the challenge, I think, with young players, because they've all got different different motives as well. You know, whether it's training with the first team, trying to get a loan, trying to get the next contract, trying to get in our under 21 team, or maybe they know the pathway is something and somewhere different. But I think in terms of reinforcing them, like I say, we'll constantly be at it in training as a staff. And I think consistency from your staff's really, really important. Um and you know we'll we'll pull them up, you know, on things on things outside of the pitch as well. I think, you know, managing those standards and behaviors, they've they've almost signed up to them and and you know, as a group they hold themselves accountable. We'll discuss with the players as well, you know, in terms of if there's things that we don't feel are right, you know, what are their thoughts? The leadership group will get in, we'll say, come on, give us some feedback on this. What are your thoughts? Because again, if they can help manage the standards, that that plays a big part. Um and it's it's a daily thing. It's it's just repetition of the standard. We, we'll show clips of certain elements if it's linked to the game. You know, if we feel that someone hasn't reacted quickly on transition or they've looked disappointed or their body language is poor, I think them seeing themselves in their moments is quite powerful as well for trying to change behaviours and and develop their learning. But I think because the non-negotiable is non-negotiable, we can constantly keep an eye on it and monitor it. And I think over time we've made. You know, Blackburn was the same. You know, within six or twelve months, there was a huge difference and a huge shift in the the culture and the sort of behaviours of the players. And you know, I think the players here have made some huge strides as well this season already, and we're bearing fruit of that in terms of what's happening on the grass. Well, you mentioned the about potentially utilising the players as well in terms of implementation or reinforcement. How do you know when? Is the right time to to utilize a player to do that? Yeah, I think you, you you get a feel for it. I think it's I think it's through experience and you know having these things happen in the past. You know what's worked well, what hasn't. You know what what time did you intervene in a certain way and how did that work? I think you'll always try and tap into the to the individual player first. You know what I mean? Have those conversations initially. If it's if it's more of a group thing, then I think you get a feel for the moment. And sometimes you'll do it solely as a coach, as a head coach, you get players in and discuss certain things and, you know, reinforce the message. But there's also a time when the players can have a powerful impact. If it's affecting, say, what's happening on the grass in terms of the quality of a session, then players feel that and and, and they, they want to do something about it as well. And I think when the players get together as a group and we have our leadership group, like I say, and they, they reinforce the message, that can have a really positive impact. And we, we encourage feedback on the grass. You know, in certain moments, I'll say to a player, you know, are you happy with that? Are you happy with that? And, and then encourage them to be open and honest, you know, and uh, have those conversations. You know, we'll, we'll review in session, during a session, if things aren't going particularly well, we'll say, come on, what are your thoughts? And and players are honest and say, no, it's not good enough. And we've got to do it. You know what I mean? And they, they, if they're serious about being a player, then they're serious about wanting to work in an environment that's conducive to development and that they can enjoy. And I think... Picking the moment to use the players is, is an important thing, but it's it's probably the, the whole package and the different interventions linked together that get you the most positive outcome. How do you then balance, Tony, with sessions? Because a lot of it's 
this is a collective where in the past many years ago when I first started coaching and you've you'll have experienced it as well where the, the coach is not not king but they basically dictate they're telling players what to do but but what are your thoughts around today's climate because the landscape's completely different and for the better as well at times between having the balance between providing players with what they want and providing them what they need because it's very intricate and it's very complex situation that so how do you go about doing it yeah it is it is a, it is a balance i think my my um my way of doing it is and how i look at it is i'll always i'll always heavily go on what the players need and sprinkle it with what they want i think ultimately we're trying to give them the best chance of developing and, and becoming players and having careers and Having a good idea what that looks like at the end, I think is the most important thing. You know, what is the demands of first team football? What is it going to look like at this level for them individually in the position that they're playing and, and at different levels? And I think, you know, being having a real clear alignment with the manager at first team level and having an understanding of what he wants and the demands that he puts on players at this age, we we're preparing them for that. So again, understanding the players' strengths, the players' weaknesses potentially. And I think the key thing is having a plan every time you go into a session. You know, what is what is it in the session that you're exactly trying to get out of and what you're trying to give that individual player? And I think in, in session, sometimes that will mean stopping it. I think we did go through a period, certainly through the Youth Awards, which were fantastic, and the Advanced Youth Award, where we moved away completely, maybe the other way, from the A-licence methodology around coaching, you know, stopping it, recreating the situation in and around the ball and away from the ball and giving a lot of detail. But I think sometimes in modern coaching, that detail gets missed. Uh, so I do think it's important in key moments. You want you want intensity in your session. You, realism is absolutely critical. But there are moments where you're going to have to go in and give the player that real bit of forensic detail, whether it be technical or tactical. And I think uh, you know the the quality of that intervention, the speed of it, and then check their understanding after it to see if they're picking up on what you said. That's a critical part of it. But I think you've got, I think it's our obligation to give the players what we think they need in terms of our experiences and our knowledge and. You know, hopefully players in time will get a better feeling, a better understanding and a better appreciation sometimes of what they need. Um, but developing that through sessions and through one-to-ones and through, and through analysis as well, I think is critical. So it's a, it's a definite big part. Give them what they need and sprinkle it with what they, what they want. Well, off the back of that, so give them what they need, sprinkle with some of what they want. In terms of focusing on those needs... How do you communicate ideas, technique, stuff, sessions to players, um, particularly when you're dealing with, at times, potentially younger players who may think they have the answer? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of young players do have the answer as well. You know, they, they, are, they are quite knowledgeable, some of them, especially around their own game or their perception of where they are and where they want to get to. I think for us at Aston Villa, we're really fortunate, you know, with the facilities that we have. We pre-frame our sessions. So we'll do a lot of planning in the afternoon, um, the day before, around what is it exactly we're going after in the session? How does it link to our DNA? Then we'll go through individual players and, you know, what are we targeting for what player? Um, what we'll then do is we'll present the next morning before we go out and train and uh, in the auditorium again on the screen, we'll have possibly some best practice clips. It'll It'll link maybe to the game we've played previously. And then we'll go through the session plan in terms of, you know, on the screen and the different moving parts. And we'll talk through what the key key objectives and key elements of that are. Probably in between that and then walking to the grass, which is a 10-minute walk, we'll start picking off individuals 
and just talking through some of the detail around what we're going to be going after in the session with them, how they feel about that, what are their thoughts on it. I think that's where you get your buy-in as well, having a bit of a dialogue, not just sort of saying, right, we're doing this, we're doing that. You know, we, I'll say to a player, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I'm looking at you, opening your body, checking your shoulder, back foot. How do you feel about what your thoughts? And get their feedback. So you've already started those conversations before the session starts. And then when you go into it, like I say, we're fortunate. I might be momentum in the session, which means I'm the lead. But the two coaches who work with me, they'll they'll go in with a plan to work specifically with certain players or a unit and give them real detail based on you know the objectives that we've set prior. We'll, we'll move roles. There might be part of the session where I'll focus on one or two individuals. And again, you'll sort of give them in-game coaching. You don't want to stop the session. But whenever there's a, a sort of planned drinks break or anything like that, I'll be straight over to the individuals or whoever it is I'm working with. And again, reinforcing the point, giving them some detail. Sometimes in session, like you said, we'll, we'll stop it and do a demonstration and show them really specifically exactly what it is. If we feel that, I'm, if I feel they're just missing it, they're nearly getting it, but not quite. And it might be the second or third session. I think we go in and we give them the detail and then we can reflect after the session um, again through analysis conversations and I think it's always it's always connecting the learning from previous games and sessions and giving them plenty of opportunity to sort of consolidate and embed that learning that would be the key key sort of strategies we use I know I've done it Tony I think many other coaches that will listen to this have done it as well uh, for the ones that probably need to consider the following answer to you to the question is that I particularly have experienced it where I've I've delivered sessions. They've had lots of intensity, but lack detail. And then equally, you know, I've done I've delivered sessions where there's been intricate detail, but it's lacked intensity. And the balance between either on, it's it's having, I guess, an healthy diet of both. But where do you stand with that? What are your thoughts and opinions in regards to lots of intensity, but what about what they need in terms of the requirement to be able to develop and and pick up that minutia around the detail? I think I think it's really interesting and that that leads to lots of conversations at, at my previous clubs as as well as this one. I think you want I think the key thing is the realism and the, and intensity as part of that. I think you also got to look at the game though. You know what what demands will the game put on them at the weekend and what are we looking for them individually to deliver or. What learning are we looking for them to show? You know, how are they developing and how are they progressing? Some of the key things that we've discussed with them and worked on previously. And I think I think in sessions, and I discuss this with sports science, I always have done. I think you have to get the detail in. Now, there's different ways of doing it. There might be moments where you have to stop the session. And again, in terms of modern day with sports science, that you might be doing four, four-minute games or a four, four-minute phase of play. But I'll discuss with sports science before that I'll, there'll be a couple of things that are definites that I need to nail down with the players and make sure they're really clear on. And if we're getting them out through um, coaching as the ball's moving, through the breaks in between, then that's fine. But if they're not, then I'll just, I've just i already preempted it and said, listen, I'll go in, I'll go in and tell them and show them exactly what I think he needs to do in that moment, given the real forensic detail. I'll get in, I'll deliver it, then I'll get out and then we can review it. So I think there's a balance, but but you have to, you have to give them the detail. I don't feel, and, I, and again, this is probably something that's changed over the years. I don't feel comfortable thinking, he needs to know that he needs to do that in this way and leaving it because of intensity and the time. I think you've got to you've got to give the player that information and um, you know give them the, a different way of learning it. You can do it off the grass, you can do it before, you can do it during the break, but sometimes in the moment, recreating the, the moment. I think Dick Bate was obviously one of the best 
best in the world at it. You know, that real forensic detail, stop, stand still. This is the moment. But you know what? They're the bits you remember, Keith, as a player. They're the bits you remember. You, you won't remember every session. You won't remember intensity in four, four minutes. But you know when that coach come in and said that and showed me that and something dropped in there, that's the bit they take with them. So we can't we can't miss out on giving them those opportunities to learn that. And I think that's the value in, you know, you, you, you go through all your coaching badges, you learn, you're looking at other, you know, you've, you've had a playing career, you've picked up all this experience, all this knowledge, information. You've got to really find ways to help the players with it. That's not stopping it all the time, but in key moments, don't miss the opportunity to give them that little bit extra. And it might turn out to be gold dust. Who knows? We do like we do like some gold dust, Tony. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> so that the players get a balanced diet of ingredients to meet the demands of the game. What things do you try and incorporate into every session? Obviously, you've spoke about needs, you've spoke about wants, you've spoke about the different types of coaching that you can deliver. But what do you like to incorporate or what things do you need to incorporate in every session? Yeah, so I think I think first, like I said, the foundation is those non-negotiables. I think that's that's the start point in terms of the hard work, the mentality, the attitude, the focus, and the commitment to the session. I think we have to incorporate realism 100%. Is everything they're doing relevant to the game? Is the sessions that you're putting on, is it challenging them? Is it testing them? Is it stretching them? Um and again, positionally, they'll all have different needs as well. You know, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses? So you're looking at, you know, how often can I give put them in a position where they're getting an opportunity to practice exactly what it is they're going to have to work on. You know, I see sessions where you might have, there's, you know, there's a head of coaching, this is with loads of cones, loads of rules, loads of, but you're watching it and I'm thinking, this it, does this really look like the game? A lot of decisions are already made for the players. So in terms of awareness and decision making, all my Sessions have to incorporate that as a challenge, not as a prefixed, prefix sort of moment. Um, and again, is the flow to it? Do they understand it? And is it relevant for what they, what you're asking them to do in terms of a weekend and a game? So, realism is fundamentally the first thing. Detail is important. Intensity, as and when we think it's 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 key for that part of the session. And again, challenging them and giving them repetition. And I look at I look at even you know you talk about there's not a lot of drill practices now and. We, we talk about ball striking, you know, the quality of players, ball striking now compared to maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And I don't, I don't, a lot of young players, I don't think, are as good at it because of the sessions are in tighter areas. They're, um, they're normally group sessions. The ball's rolling all the time. You don't actually get the chance when you watch a lot of sessions to see players pinging balls 20, 30 yards and different variations, different techniques, really specific techniques on that. So, we try and do that in addition to the sessions as part of ILO stuff. But again, it comes back to brilliant basics. And I think, again, in, in a session, brilliant basics have got to be the foundation within that as well. Do you get asked questions from the players? Yeah, yeah, we get, get asked, you know, asked questions all the time. And I think, uh, I think it's really important that they feel that it's a real positive thing to ask questions. You know, from our point of view, that shows that they're tuned in, they want to learn, they're inquisitive, they want to develop, they want to improve uh, and they want to problem solve and asking the coaches maybe is a different way of doing that. I think, you know, we we work with the players. So in terms of their ILO programs, for example, we will put to the player, you know, what do you think should be on there? What are your strengths do you feel? What, what areas do you want to work on? And you work with them on that. I think that's really important, especially for those ILO moments where it's one-to-one. -one. 
they've got to feel like this is really, really massively important to them. Sometimes you work with the player on it. You know, they might pick one and you might suggest them and you come somewhere in between because you think there's a real strong emphasis that they need to work on that or you just work on both. Um, but having that, having them buy into their development and play a part in it and, and take some ownership of it is really important. Um, it's something we, like you said, we, we'll encourage that all the time. Um, in terms of coaching, we'll seek feedback, you know, from the players. Anonymous, we send, I'll send out, and I've always done it at different clubs, send out anonymous questionnaires asking them, you know, about the sessions, about the detail. Is it improving them as a player? Do they enjoy it? Is it challenging? Do they feel they're supported? Um, and 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 that that feedback I think is really important as well as a coach, you know, to get that player feedback. It's probably the most powerful feedback you can get. So yeah, so you know, players who ask questions are are generally the ones that really really want to learn. What's the most challenging question that you face currently from your players? I think I think a lot of the the challenge ones probably come in game. Sometimes, you know, whether whether they come over the side of the pitch during the game, you know, the modern trend in football now is lots of different formations. Um, years ago, it'd be four four two. Now you can you can come up against the formation that you've never played against either me as a coach or them as a player, and they can come over during a game or is it half time? There's a problem in terms of our, you know, in, whether it's in possession or out of possession. They can ask a question that you've got to quickly in the moment come up with an answer to try and help them with a solution on the pitch in the game. Um, but I think and that is challenging in game again like I say if it's a different a different uh, system that you're playing against but I also think it's important then as a coach that you go and reflect on on the information that you've given you give it in game you go and reflect you review it you've got to be critical of yourself as a coach and think was that bit of information the best bit that I could have given them in that moment did it work out was there a better way or a different way and if um, if I feel there was a different way or potentially a better way then you know, I'll go on and get the player in, I'll get the analysis on, we'll get the clips out and we'll talk through. I'll say, listen, we changed to this or we tweaked it or what I said, we'll step in and mark this player on this side. But when we look back and reflect, there might have been a different way or a better way to do it. And I think having that um, having that honesty as a coach as well, I think is really important. If you give an information that you reflect on, you give it in the moment, you reflect and think, actually, there might be a better way. Then you go and you get that player back in and you say, listen, I thought about it. What about this? I think that that's important as well, and then you've got, you know, that 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 bit of vulnerability. I think is is important as a coach. Like you say, we we haven't got all the answers, and we always come up with the right ones. But if we if we come up with the wrong one and we work it out pretty quickly, then then do do the best you can to to rectify that and help the player. In terms of questions, then what's what is one question you wish your players asked you or your staff more frequently? Then uh, that would like that would definitely be can I do more. Can I do more? Whatever it might be, you know, if he's asking me, can can we go out and work on passing and receiving more? Can I work on me scanning more? You know, at the end of sessions, or can we do another session on this? If it's if it's the gym and that's part of their program, you know, can they go and ask for sense? Or can we do another gym session? Can I come in and do a little bit more? Whether it's the analyst, can I go and get some more clips? Can I do this psychology? Just just a thirst for knowledge, really, from the player and a thirst for and a passion to improve and develop. And to, I, I I say all the time to the players, you know, really really utilise everybody in the room, get the most out of us. We're here to give you everything we possibly can. And if you want more, come and ask for it. And we'll we'll definitely give you it and we'll find a way to get that in. So can I do more? What that is can vary player to player, but that would definitely be, if we have a group of players who always come and ask, can we do more? Then I think culture-wise and environment, we're in a great place. How much of your, the week is spent between classroom individual stuff working with players providing them with information that can help them 
and then going on the pitch. Yeah, I think I think here, I mean, Aston Villa, the programme, it's it's probably the most detailed programme I've ever seen, Keith, you know, in terms of the level of focus on the individual player. You know, with the 23s, we have three full-time coaches, which is, a, you know, not not the norm. It's normally a lead and assistant. We have three coaches here. Um, we'll all focus on certain players at certain times. And I think, you know, the classroom that we've got, you know, we have analysis sessions, psych, all these different things, but the focus is always on the individual player um, and how much we can give them. We we do a six-day a week. Uh, I know I know different clubs, some might do a five. We we do a six-day because we want we don't we always want to give them more, a bit like what I was saying, the players, you know, we, we always want them to demand more. And even that mindset from them, I think knowing that as a coaching staff and as a group of a group of staff and a group of people, we want to give them everything we possibly can. I think they feel that as well. And, and you can feel them giving back more and more. In terms of the balance between on the grass and off it, what I would say is we don't really waste a second off it, which is unusual. I think, you know, past clubs I've been at and myself, we'd, we'd chat, you know, just chat football for hours, whereas we, we're chatting about individuals, we're chatting about the plan, we're reviewing, we're reflecting, we're clipping training. Um, we'll be on the grass. So if we have a game, obviously one day a week, the other five days we'll be on the grass sort of an hour and a half in the morning doing, you know, working on the programme, uh, again, a bit bespoke. So some individuals will come out of possession and they'll come out of different parts of the, the session and work one-to-one -one with the coach, depending on what their needs are. And then two or three afternoons a week, we'll go out and we'll do ILO sessions, which is, again, linked in directly to their individual plan that they've helped build. And that'll be sort of a ratio of sometimes one to four, one to five at the most in terms of player to coach. And that'll be on really, really specific on the thing that they're they're looking to work on. Their individual clips will be linked into those moments in the game and in training as well. So it's a huge programme. Uh, all the staff are fully invested in it, fully committed to it. Um, and we get the balance between the time on the grass. We maximise every moment. Sometimes there's a, you know, you have those battles with sports science around load and, you know, um, intensity and all these type of things. But again, it's giving the players what they need. And we've we've got to use our experience and and manage that in terms of how we plan those afternoon sessions. But again, it's about maximising the time with the player on and off the grass. The care now for players is it's on another level. You know, they've got everything that they need, sports science, nutrition, psych, technical detail, video footage, uh, strength, you name it, they've got it. What about the coach? So what about you? You're going to be fresh for them. What do you do? That, that's a good question. That I think I think probably my self awareness of that has grown, grown a lot over certainly the last five years. But if I go back ten years, it, it my self awareness around that's grown massively again because, you know, if we're putting on the players, you know, that we want enthusiasm, energy, intensity, and quality, and are they being the best that they can be in terms of trying to be high performing in a high performing environment? Then I have to reflect on myself and think, is that me? And how how do I manage myself in terms of that in terms of rest recovery? all those type of things. I, I try, I'm very conscious of that with staff in terms of asking them how they are and, you know, suggesting that, you know, they take a bit of time here, a bit of time there and having conversations about how are things, you know, not just at the club and on the pitch, how's everything going and try and get a real feel for them. And sometimes you can feel it in different people at different times and you come up with strategies to help them with that, that side of it, take up, take a bit of workload off them at times. And I'm sure you know, working with the people that I work with, they're, they're, they're pretty good at that as well. So they'll help, they'll help manage me with that. But I think it's a, I think it's a self-awareness as a, as, a, as a key part now as a coach 
you know, we're trying to encourage players to be more self-aware, but certainly ourselves, we've got to be got to be really aware. And 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 also, I think sometimes it's it's important to to recognise if you if you're not feeling great, you might you might be ill, you might not feel great. You, you know, you, there's certain days where you might have a hundred things going on. It's recognising those moments and. And passing more responsibility on to the people that you're working with, you know, the other coaches. I might say, you know, you you've momentum this session today. I'll focus on this individual. And it's it's understanding yourself in the moment, but ultimately with the with the priority to give the players the best of you and the best of all of you. And like you say, that can mean working in different ways on different days. But ultimately that self-awareness, I think, is the key part of that, Keith. Well, Tony, final question, following on a little bit from that last one. Advice can come from an array of different places and sometimes maybe when we're not expecting it. What is the best coaching or leadership advice that you've received so far? Yeah, I think there's probably two two parts of that, David. I think um, always walk in the shoes of the person in front of you, you know, having that empathy and understanding things and trying to see things through their eyes, I think is really important. And I think... The the bit I took from that was as a as a as a, as a young coach and a, and a young player, I think you used to say if someone needed to improve their left foot, for example, you just do loads of work on the left foot. But if it was a if it was a mentality thing, years ago you get written off. But now I think having a real understanding for the person and real empathy, I'm a totally different person psychologically now, mentally to what I was at 18, 19, 20. So yeah, I have to understand that and and empathise with that. And I think, you know, being in the shoes of that person is really, really important. And they've all got different lives away from football as well. I think understanding that to help give them what they need, I think. So definitely understanding the needs of the person and trying to look at things through their eyes. And then the other bit of advice I got years ago was to learn and develop to be an outstanding communicator in terms of how you communicate, but also listening and how you receive information as part of that as well. And that's been a that's been a conscious sort of, focus of mine right from the start of my coaching journey all the way through really um and i think the best leaders are the best communicators so hopefully i've developed you know um developed that over a period of time and it's something i'll, I'll always be conscious of and always try and keep keep improving keep developing myself well tony uh, this has been excellent you've been extremely clear very transparent in your responses and answers to the questions that we posed so on behalf of david myself and all the listeners we wish you all the best in your new role and uh equally we we thank you for coming on and being a super guest for us so thank you ever so much no brilliant thanks a lot keith and thanks a lot david really enjoyed it thanks for tuning into the golders podcast today if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed please do so Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.